Hey guys, good morning. Gotta be honest, I'm a little let down. That was the only one that cheered for T Swift. Like I get, I get that we're here to worship Jesus, and I'm not about to say that we should worship T Swift. But don't pretend like 1989 wasn't a great album, because it was. It was really good. Um, my name is Isaac. If you guys don't know me, I'm the worship pastor here at Salt City. Uh, I'm excited to get the opportunity to teach the Bible this morning. Uh, I've been pretty nervous about it, though, uh, the last few weeks, and not just for, like, the normal fear of public speaking reasons. I've, I've been nervous to speak in this particular sermon series because I, I don't have, like, a great prayer life. Like, I should. It's not that hard, right? It's just, it's literally just talking to God. But throughout my walk with Christ, it's been a struggle for me to have consistency in prayer. It's been, it's been hard. And so I feel the weight of teaching this passage. And if you've been coming to Salt City the last few Sundays and you've heard the messages, you've read the scripture, and you feel that conviction like, oh, like I have a lot of work to do in my prayer life. Like you're in good company. I'm right there with you. You're not alone. So before we dive into the text, I'm going to do what I, I don't do best and go to God in prayer. So would you guys join in with me? Father, this morning, um, would you teach us in a way that only you can, and that's by your Holy Spirit. Would you grant us understanding as we examine your word, and would you convict our hearts in a way that leads not to guilt and shame as a destination, but it leads to a place where we experience greater intimacy with you. God, would you do this work, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, if you guys want to open up your Bibles... Um, we're going to be in Matthew 6, 11 and 12 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, um, the text should be up on the screen so you can follow along. We're going to read verses 9 through 15 to kind of get some context, and then um, we'll focus in on verses 11 and 12, the whole one sentence of it. It's going to be great. I only have half of a seminary degree, so Drew would only give me one sentence to preach on. <laughs> just, just trying to minimize the risk, you know? It's all about those baby steps, I guess. All right, so let's, let's read the text. Jesus says, Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Okay, so in verses 11 and 12 here, we, we kind of hit a new section of the prayer where we start to shift our focus a little bit. Jesus has instructed us to address God as our Father, to ask that his name would be set apart as holy and distinguished as different. He tells us to ask that his kingdom would come and would expand on this earth, and that as it does, his will would be carried out in a way that more truly reflects heaven. And once we've done that, he now tells us to shift our focus and start to examine our own needs. So the big idea for this passage is we are really needy people, and God is our great provider. We have a lot of needs, and that's okay, because God is a great provider. So to support that idea, we're going to look at three things. 
And remember, I only have half the seminary degree, so we're going to keep it just really simple. Jesus talks about three things. We're going to talk about those same three things. We're going to talk about three needs, and those needs are our daily bread, we need forgiveness of our debts, and we need to forgive our debtors. So we're going to start with the first one. We need our daily bread. So what is Jesus talking about when he says daily bread? Like, is it literal bread that he is talking about? Like, if you have a gluten allergy and you don't want to be anywhere near bread, are you still supposed to pray for it? Like, if you're stuck in a desert, say, and you pray for water, is Jesus going to be like, no, dude, no, that's not what I said. I said bread, just the bread, just got to pray for the bread. No, clearly that's not that that guy liked it. It was a good joke for that guy. (laughs) Clearly that's not the case, okay? Jesus can't just be talking about bread here. He's using bread as a term to just kind of refer to the baseline stuff that we need to exist. We're talking like food, water, sleep, air, like the things that sustain you. And you could expand that idea and you can say he's referring to our spiritual needs. And that's true. Like that would be true. We have plenty of daily spiritual needs that we for sure should be asking God to meet. But Jesus, he kind of focuses on that later in the prayer. He kind of addresses those spiritual needs. So we can easily assume that Jesus is actually talking here about stuff. Like we should ask for stuff that we need. He's saying like, hey, your dad owns the whole world and you should ask him for the stuff that you need. Like maybe not a Ferrari or a yacht or something, right? Like if you might be a little bit off base if your prayer is like, Lord, give to us this day a second lake house. Like that would probably be off. I can make that joke because everybody that would be offended by it isn't here. Because the first lake house, they're there. They're at the first lake house. (laughs) Now, they come quick. You got to keep up, guys. All right, so we're not talking about luxuries, right? We're talking about the necessities of life here. And it's also interesting to note, like, we're asking for it on a pretty short-term basis. Do you guys notice that? We're asking, give us this day our daily bread. And some translations of that might read, give us this day our bread for tomorrow. But either way you slice it, it's about our more immediate needs. Yeah, that was a pun. (laughs) Bread, slice it. I'm telling you, you got to keep up. Here we go. So we're praying daily for our present needs, right? We're saying, God, provide me with what I need to make it through the day. But why? Like, why, why are we doing it? Why are we doing it that way? Why are we not asking for God to provide for the things we need for, like, the week or the month or even the year? Or why do we have to spend time asking for things at all? So like just a few sentences earlier in verse 8, Jesus said to us, he says, your father knows what you need before you ask him. It's like he already knows what we need. So what are we doing? Like why do we spend time asking God for stuff that he already knows that we need? My mom sometimes does this thing, which is, frustrating at times as moms do things like that. Still love you, mom, if you're listening. Um, she'll, she'll ask a question. She'll be like, hey, guess who I saw today? I'll be like, I don't know. Who'd you see? And then she'll be like, no, no, no. Like, you have to guess. Do you have a friend that does this? They like pose this like very vague question and you just kind of have to take a blind stab in the dark at an answer. It's like, there's no way you're going to guess it. 
Is that what prayer is? Like, is prayer just God playing a game of, hey, guess what I have behind my back? Like, is that what it is? Guys, why do you think my mom asks me a question rather than just giving me information? Why does she do that? It's because she wants to have a conversation with me. She loves me. Like, she wants to interact with me. She wants to build relationship. And guys, that's what God wants. He's your dad. He wants to talk to you. He wants us to think about our needs, and he wants us to ask him to meet those needs because our needs become the context of our relationship with God. Our needs are that context in which we relate to God. Like Jordan said last week, God isn't drawn to us because of our strength or our ability. He's not impressed with what we can do, but he's drawn to us because of our need. And he meets us in that place where we acknowledge our need and he fosters a relationship with us. And it's awesome. So Jesus wants us to cultivate a day-to-day and a moment-to-moment awareness of our dependence on God so that we can grow in relationship with him. The problem with that is, is we don't like being needy, right? Like, we don't like to depend on God or depend on other people. We want to be able to do things on our own. And some of us respond to our neediness by resolving to become more self-reliant. And maybe it's just our pride that pushes us that direction. Like, we want to be able to say, like, I did it. I did it all by myself. Like, I'm the one that provided for my family, or I am the one that overcame my sin. Or maybe some of us become self-reliant because we don't really believe that God cares. Like, we know we have needs, but he doesn't care about me. Like, I got to go do this on my own. He's not going to meet my needs. Another response to our neediness is anxiety. Like we see our needs and they start to pile up and they get higher and higher and suddenly that pile of needs is now bigger than God. And we're like, yeah, like I have needs, I need help, but look at all this. Like God can't take care of all this. It's a huge problem. Like we don't believe that he's able to meet our needs. And so this prayer is about trust, guys, A lot of times we don't trust that he can do it or that he cares enough to do it. And when we fail to trust God, we miss out on relationship with him. We waste time being anxious or gritting our teeth and trying to get through it alone. Instead of spending time with God, enjoying being his son or his daughter, whom he delights to provide for. So how do you respond to your neediness? Like when you see it, what do you do? Do you lean into God's provision, or do you pull away and try to find your own solutions? Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the whole world. And later, later in Matthew 6, in verse 26, Jesus says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And are not you of more value than they? God's saying to us, hey, don't you know that I love you and that I care about you and I'm going to meet your needs every day? He's a good dad and he gives good gifts. And guess what? He owns the whole world. You can trust him to provide for you. Let's keep moving through the passage. Let's look at verse 12. It says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So let's talk about our debts. Like you, you may have heard that word debts 
translated a few different ways. It could be sins or transgressions or trespasses. I grew up in a Lutheran church, and it was trespasses. We were trespass people. That's how I grew up. That's the term we chose. But it doesn't really, it doesn't really matter which of those terms you choose. They're all referring to the same thing. Like, we're talking about our sin here. And at this point, the context becomes pretty important. And we need to look at the audience that Jesus is talking to. Now, we've mentioned um, in the last few sermons that this uh, chunk of scripture on the Lord's Prayer is part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So we're going to backtrack a little bit, and we're going to see who he's giving this sermon to. Let's look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. It says, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And then, and then in the verses after, he begins teaching to them. And some translations make that primary audience a little bit clearer. The Holman Christian Standard Version says, He went up on a mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began teaching them. So he's not talking primarily to these crowds that kind of have heard about him and come out. He's talking to his disciples. He's talking to his followers. And the reason it's important to note that is because this prayer is for those who are walking with Jesus, right? It's for those who have already trusted in Jesus. They're following him. They would identify as one of his disciples. So when Jesus tells us to confess sin and ask for forgiveness in this daily prayer, he's not telling us that we need to ask for our salvation over and over and over, right? So I grew up um, in the church. I grew up like going to youth group. I was a youth group kid. And I probably asked Jesus to be my savior like two or three times a year. Did anybody else do that growing up? Like, it was like any time there was like a youth rally or a Christian concert or like some sort of retreat, like invariably at some point, a guy with a microphone would get up and be like, raise your hand if you want to be with Jesus in heaven. People would be like, yeah. I'm like, I'd raise my hand because I want to be with Jesus in heaven, right? And he'd be like, all right, everybody with your hand up, come over here and pray to receive Jesus. And I uh, am a rule follower, and uh, I don't want to rebel against authority. And this guy has a microphone, so clearly he's an authority. So I would walk over there, and I'd accept Jesus for the 38th time. <laughs> but thankfully, that's not, that's not what Jesus is doing here, right? Like, that's not how salvation works. I didn't need to ask Jesus to be my Lord and Savior 38 different times, because we're assured of our salvation the moment that we put our genuine faith in Christ. The problem is we don't stop sinning when we put our faith in Christ, right? Like, that would be nice, wouldn't it? But that's not how sanctification works. It's a process, and it happens over time as we're slowly transformed into a better likeness of Jesus. As 2 Corinthians says, from one degree of glory to another, we become, we become more and more like Jesus. So as we walk with Jesus, we should be sinning less and less, but we're still sinning. Like every day, I have a new list of sins, right? And that's what Jesus is calling me to bring to the Father daily in prayer and lay it before him and say, I did this, and I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's awesome. It's a beautiful promise. 
But as we continue to look at this passage, it seems like maybe there's a catch. Like it seems like there's maybe a caveat to this forgiveness. Let's look at the scripture again. It says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So Jesus is implying that we need to be forgiving others if we're going to be asking for forgiveness. And in verses 14 and 15, he stops implying it, and he lays it out in real plain terms. He says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. I don't know about you guys, but those verses scare me like every time I read them, every time I hear them. And I would love to tell you not to worry about it. Like I'd love to tell you that you can just glance over it and you can ignore those last couple verses, but I can't. I can't do that. Jesus goes out of his way to say this, and it's got some hard edges to it. He's saying no matter what people have done to you, no matter how much you've been hurt, you have to forgive those people. We need to forgive our debtors. And he's not putting it forward as a suggestion or a best practice. It's an imperative. It's mandatory. And in demanding that we extend forgiveness to others, he's putting his finger on what can be a pretty pervasive and sometimes elusive sin in our lives. Bitterness. Church, we have to hear this. Bitterness and relationship with God are incompatible. They're incompatible. They don't go together. It's oil and water. They don't mix. You can't hold on to bitterness and expect to have a vibrant relationship with God. You have to let one go to have the other. And the Apostle Paul, he goes on to echo this idea throughout the New Testament. In Colossians 3, 12, and 13, he says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Then in Ephesians 4, 31 and 32, he says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So it gets repeated over and over in Scripture. Like, we have to forgive. We have to let go of our bitterness. And it's like any other sin, guys. There's, there's no sin that you can see in your life and acknowledge and be content to hold on to and then expect it to not interfere with your relationship with God. There's no sin that you can just be okay with and expect that to not be a disturbance in your relationship with God. Like knowing you have a problem with anger and deciding to do nothing about it, deciding to like not confess it, not try to fight it, it's going to hinder your relationship with God. Being content to walk in sexual immorality, whether that be, that be pornography or sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend or choosing to walk in a lifestyle of homosexuality, like, that's going to inhibit your relationship with God. There's nothing off the table. Guys, Jesus wants your whole lives. 
He's calling dibs on it. He's saying, I, I want all of you. You can't embrace sin and relationship with God at the same time. But in that, here's what you, you can't hear me saying. What you can't hear me saying is, if you have sin in your life, you can't have a relationship with God. Okay, you can't hear that. Because if that's true, then nobody would have a relationship with God. None of us would. But being in relationship with God means that when your sin is exposed, you confess it and you turn away from it. You don't ignore it. You don't give it like a dark corner of your heart to survive in. You declare war on it, and you fight it with the blood of Jesus. And that's what relationship with God is. It's saying no to sin and saying yes to obedience to Jesus. Don't sacrifice the intimacy that you're offered with your heavenly father on the altar of bitterness. Don't be content with it. Don't give into it. Declare war on it. And that's a hard thing to do. And it's tough for a lot of reasons. And one of the reasons it can be hard to fight is because sometimes we can't see that it's there. Like some bitterness sits right on the surface. Like it makes your blood boil. Like we started talking about bitterness and forgiveness and somebody's name popped right into your mind, right? But sometimes we're blind to our own bitterness. It can become such a part of our lives or even our personalities that we can't really see it anymore. So maybe declaring war on your bitterness means letting the people that you're close to speak into your life. Husbands, ask your wives about it. Wives, ask your husbands. Ask your friends, your family. Because sometimes the things that we're blind to are plain as day to the people that are close to us the people that are in our lives and see us day in and day out. It comes to the top. So allow them to call out bitterness in your life. Allow them to point out people that you're maybe withholding forgiveness from. Invite that input and don't get upset when they do it. Be open to it. Another reason that it's hard to forgive is because sometimes the hurt that we experience is deep and it's awful. It's real, guys, and Jesus acknowledges that. He says, yeah, I know you have debtors. People have mistreated you, and they've done wrong by you. He's not trying to belittle or discredit the hurt that you've experienced. He's acknowledging the wrong actions of others, and he's empathizing with us in that. He's not trying to make light of the pain that you feel or say, like, hey, like, what that person did you, it's, it's not really that bad. I've been mistreated before. Like, people have wronged me. People have sinned against me. But there are, are hurts that I can't begin to understand the pain of. Like, some people in this room have walked through years of abuse, whether that's physical or emotional or both. Some people have endured sexual assault and rape. Some people have had our trust broken and had it so broken by people close to us that it just, it alters the way that we look at the world, right? And some have had friends and family taken away from them because of a bad decision that somebody made to take their keys and drink and drive. Like, how are we expected to forgive these people? Like, that stuff hurts, guys. Like, how is it fair 
for Jesus to put that on us, that we're supposed to look across into the eyes of the people that hurt us and say, I forgive you. Jesus demands that from us because that's what he does for us every day. Guys, our sin put Jesus on the cross. My sin put Jesus on the cross. I killed the author of life. I racked up a debt that Jesus had to go to the cross to pay. I couldn't do it. He was the only one that could do it. And in the face of my sin that I continue to commit, he doesn't retaliate. He doesn't take his revenge. He doesn't play a victim card. He doesn't rub my sin in my face and say, Isaac, how could you? Look what your sin did to me. He says to me, Isaac, I love you. Look at what I did to overcome your sin so that you can have a relationship with your father. And guys, he didn't wait for me to come ask him to go to the cross. Romans 5.8 says, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He took on my debt and then he chased me down. And with an open hand, he said, forgiveness is here. Take it. We can forgive others because Jesus forgives us. When we see our sin for what it is, when we see the effect that our sin has, and we see the forgiveness of Jesus overcome it, we're freed up to acknowledge the wrongs that other people have done to us and say, I forgive you. Now, that doesn't always fix everything, right? Like when Jesus grants us forgiveness, this is the situation. We have a holy and perfectly sinless God, and we have us. And God is erasing our debt and cleansing us from all unrighteousness. So there's perfect restoration that happens in the relationship as that forgiveness is given because he removes all the sin from the equation. It's all gone. But when we're talking about conflict with others, when we're talking about our relationships with other people, it's a pretty different situation, isn't it? It's like there's sin on both sides, and even forgiveness can get really messy. The relationship might not be fully restored to how it was before. That twinge of pain that you feel when you think about what happened, when you think about what they did to you, that might not go away, might not go away right away. It might not go away in this life. But forgiveness is something that you choose to continue to walk in. It's not a decision you make once. It's something that you have to choose over and over. It's like love. Love isn't about being nice to someone when you have warm, fuzzy feelings towards them. Like, I don't just love my wife when I'm overcome with positive emotion towards her. And praise Jesus that she doesn't only love me, when it's convenient for her, or when I've done something to deserve being loved. She loves me when I'm so undeserving. It's a commitment she's made. It's a commitment that we've made to each other, and we have to choose by God's grace to uphold that commitment every day. Guys, we need to love others when they're unlovely because God loves us when we're unlovely. And we can forgive others when they're undeserving because we're undeserving, but God still forgives us when we confess our sin. And that's the gospel, guys.
After this, we're going to respond by taking communion together. And in doing so, we, rem- we remember what Jesus did to make forgiveness and restored relationship with our Heavenly Father possible. We take the bread that signifies his body broken for us, and we dip it in the cup that signifies his blood spilled for us. We take it and we eat it and we taste it as a reminder of his provision for us, both physically and spiritually. But the Bible calls us to examine ourselves before we approach the communion table. And maybe as you do that, the Holy Spirit is going to speak to you, and maybe he's going to reveal to you some bitterness that you've been holding on to. Maybe he's going to bring to mind the name of someone that you've been unwilling to forgive. So maybe the application of this message for you is is to wait on communion. Maybe the application is to pull out your phone, to text that person, maybe to leave the room and call that person. You might need a face-to-face conversation. I I don't know what the best course of action for you is for sure, but Whatever that is, I I urge you to not let it wait. Like, Jesus didn't wait for us, guys. You can't wait for those people to come to you and ask for forgiveness. In Christ, we're called to extend that forgiveness. And if you've never confessed your sin and trusted in Jesus to save you, if you've never been on the receiving end of God's forgiveness, guys, Jesus is standing in front of you, and he's got an open hand, And he's saying, I didn't wait for you to be lovely or deserving. I've already done the work. I've made forgiveness possible. Confess your sin and take hold of it. Guys, he is faithful and just to cleanse you from all unrighteousness, and he will make you lovely. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you've made a way that even though I, I just have these sins, God, every day I've got a new list, and still you make a way for a relationship with you to happen and to continue to happen. And God, would we remember that as we take communion? God, would you, would you speak to us by your Holy Spirit as, as in this time we reflect on ourselves? Would you show us the sin that's in our lives so that we can confess it and repent of it and turn away from it? God, I don't want to miss out on relationship with you. And too often I choose my sin. God, would you break me of that? Would you help us to to feel the warmth of relationship with you, to feel the forgiveness and the fullness that our identity is in you as a son and a daughter? God, thank you for doing that work through your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.